anything outside of a house and there is a window and you want to see in. There is a window that you can look into. Imagine if sin was inside of the house and you are standing outside of the house looking through a window. That's what temptation is. It exposes it for you. It shows you what sin is. Temptation is a window to sin. And so you might even say it just like this. I came up with a clever line for us to memorize this. Temptation exposes what God opposes. You with me on that? Temptation exposes what God opposes. Say that with me. Ready? Temptation exposes what God... Very good. Okay. So we're going to look at how temptation exposes very different sins. Okay? There's, there's three different types of things that we'll see in Genesis 3 on how we are going to deal with temptation. So verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 7. Here it is. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some uh, some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All right, so let me give you a little background on what's going on. What are the cast of characters in this story? The first character we see is the serpent. The serpent. Who the heck is the serpent? It's a good question. Serpent is a representation of, what, of the person that we know as Satan, the evil one. The Bible talks about him as being this fallen angel of God. He was created by God, and then he somehow fell. Now, the Bible does not tell us a whole lot about how that happened. The Bible is a big, giant narrative about God's creation of, of the world and creation of mankind and his dealing with mankind. It doesn't give us a lot of information about his dealings with angels and certainly demons and certainly Satan. So we don't know a whole lot about how he came to be, but we do know a lot about what he does. The serpent or Satan, his goal is to mutate, it's to distort and to create confusion and chaos. And he hates everything about God. He wanted to be God and God said, nope, I'm the only one who is God. And so he fell, and he fell away from God, and he hates God to this day. He hated God then, he hates him even more now, and because he hates God, he hates everything about what God makes. And so therefore he hates you, he hates me, he hated Eve, he hated Adam, and he's hated everything about this world ever since. And that's Satan. The other people in this story, you have Eve and you have Adam. They are man. Uh, Joel talked about this two weeks ago. They are the image of God. They are the stewards of the earth. They are to be dominating over the earth. They are the, uh, Adam and Eve were the pinnacle of creation. They are the crown jewel of God's, uh, of God's decision to make and create things. Is, it, they are the people that God has relationship with. He walks with them. He talks with them. They are, get this, this is kind of fun. Adam and Eve basically are the emperor and the empress of the world. They are given direction from the king to have an empire over the entire world, and they are to dominate that. 
and they are created, and here's what's fun. They are created above every living creature. So there's God, and then there's man, and then there's everything else, including the serpent. Hear me right. Including the serpent. So then you have God. A couple weeks ago, I talked about this. He is the creator of the universe. He is holy, sovereign, perfect in wisdom, power, and presence. He is the eternal being in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is almighty, sovereign God. All three of those characters, or four of those characters, are included in this story. Now, here's a little review so we know we're in, we're in the right context. Back in Genesis chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but it'll be uh, hopefully up on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17 says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So this is a direct commandment. They were, they were given everything in the garden, everything in the world, dominating over everything, steward over everything. And God says, there's this one tree, and I command you not to touch it. Do not, do, do not even get near it. Certainly do not eat it or eat from it. And this becomes a temptation. I have no idea how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before this, this, this happened. But we knew that they, it was very clear what the command was. And one day the serpent shows up. And the first thing that he does is he challenges the identity of Eve. He speaks to her as if he is over her in the hierarchy of creation. You see, God said, this is the pinnacle of my creation. Every living thing falls underneath their dominion including the things, even is very specific, including the things that go across the ground. And so God sets up Adam and Eve to be the dominator. And then Satan shows up and begins to speak to her as if he is above her. And he gives her a little bit of an identity crisis. He confuses her. He manipulates her. And begins to tell her that she is not who she really is. And she gets very, very confused at that moment. And she forgets her God-given identity of who she is. She is the image of God. She is an empress. And she forgets that because because the serpent challenges it. And so as we know, temptation exposes what God opposes. The first temptation that we see is temptation exposes a false identity. Temptation exposes a false identity. So if you're writing notes... Temptation exposes a false identity. So not only, does he, not only does he go after the identity of Eve, the first thing that Satan does is begin to confuse and mutate who God is. He basically looks at God and says, who do you think you are? Do you really, do you, are you really good? And he begins to whisper into Eve's ear. Is God a good God? Didn't God say that you can eat of any tree in the garden? Why is he holding something back from you? If he was a good father, if he was a good God, he would give you everything that you could possibly want. He's holding back from you. He doesn't want you to have something. If you were truly an empress, you would have everything that you want. He thinks that he's better than you. You know what? You should teach him a lesson. You can become just like him. 
You don't have to be below him. You can be above him. And we together can take down God. And he begins to confuse the identity of who God is. The truth is that God is a loving and good father. He is protecting Adam and Eve from evil. He's protecting them from sin. He's protecting them from death. He is providing everything for them. They, they have no longing. They have no need. There's nothing possibly that they can want that they don't already have. And the serpent begins to confuse what already is a protecting and loving father. The irony here in this whole story is that, you know, I already told you about one irony, is that she, he begins to say, you're not who you really are. You're not really an image bearer of God. And then he begins to get, he wants to give her something, fruit from a tree. And she already has that. Most of temptation is just more of what we already have. Think about that for a second and the things that you're tempted with. Are they not just more of what you already have? You are already blessed in so many different ways. And we're tempted with just having more of it. Eve had all the fruit that she could ever want. But she wanted more. We have more, we need more stuff. We need a bigger house. We need a newer car. We need more food. We need better food. We need better drink. We need a higher position in the company, in our career. We need a different love interest. I'm not being satisfied at home intimately, and so I need something that's more than what God has already given to me. We need to realize that we are image bearers of God, and he has already provided for us everything that we need. And that when a temptation comes that is simply more of what we already have, we need to recognize that and battle against that. And say, no, I already have everything I need. My, my God is good and he's loving and he protects me and provides for me. Why would I ever want something that's evil and wrong to ruin that? As a temptation exposes, temptation exposes what God opposes, which is just simply more of what he has already given. Now, Eve does pretty good against the first temptation. He says some, the serpent does, says something to her. And then she says, well, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. God told us that we shouldn't eat of that because surely we would die. Now, does the serpent go away? No, he doesn't. Some of us have been fed the lie that if we just tell Satan to go away, that he will. James tells us that sin and temptation are like a hook and bait. The hook is sin and the bait is temptation. He's just rebaiting the hook. He realizes that she's not going to take the bait. So what does he do? Reels it up, puts a different bait on there, casts it back out at her. He doesn't go away. Here's the battle, guys. Satan is not going to give up on you. He's going to keep coming at you. And if he throws something at you that you can easily beat... Then he's going to reel back in the bait and he's going to cast something back at you. Like if somebody came up to me, and it's like for me, if somebody like came up to me and offered me heroin, I, it's not a temptation for me. Like I, I'm just not, I'm, I'd be like, do I eat it? What do I do with that? I don't, I don't even know. Like it's not, I, I'm just not tempted by that, right? But all Satan's going to do is reel that one back in and throw something else at me. And I have to be at constant alertness and constant battle. So here it goes. 
he throws something at her that she's a little anxious about. In the verse, God says, if you touch this or if you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, here's the deal. Eve lives in paradise. She's never seen or experienced death at all. She's never seen anybody die. She's never seen an animal die. She's never even seen a flower die. She's seen nothing die. Death is completely like different for her. It would, it's just a concept. It's a lofty idea that she is, she's very scared of. She doesn't want to have anything to do with. And so, and so when, when God says, if you take of this, you will surely die. Okay. Okay. I'm good. I don't have to have that. I don't know what that is. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then Satan throws at her, you can eat this and you will not surely die. Okay. I'm listening. I'm listening this time. I can eat this and not die. That's what you're telling me. And so what he does, temptation always exposes what God opposes. The temptation here is a false future. So number two, if you're taking notes, temptation This temptation that's exposed is a false future. And we fall to this a lot sometimes. We fall to this a good bit sometimes. What God has given for her is internal drives. She has a drive to eat. She has an internal drive to eat. And that's a good thing. She has an internal drive to worship, an internal drive for communion with people, relationship. And she has an internal drive for intimacy, specifically marital intimacy. And she also has a very specific drive to live. She wants to survive. She doesn't want to die. And so she becomes very confused about her future. I see that tree. It's something that I've never experienced before, but I've been told that I will die. But now you're telling me that I won't. And so she begins to be attracted by this a little bit. It's going to, it makes her feel a little bit more comfortable. It takes away that anxiety and fear. It makes me feel like "Ah, I've got a place here. This feels good. I should, I should get closer to this tree and closer to this sin. Something interesting about, um, so I was, heard this story about uh, how ranchers will slaughter their cattle. Hopefully this isn't gross for you, but it's pretty interesting. So you, you have these uh, ranchers that, that are breeding cattle for meat, right? And uh, when it's time for them to go to the slaughterhouse, most of, most of us think that, you know, slaughterhouses are uh, very tumultuous and chaotic. But what scientists have figured out is that if they startle the cows, if they surprise them in any way, if they, if they throw them into an environment that they're not used to, they will start to buck back and, and get very terrified. And they'll, they'll, they'll kind of just shudder in fear. And in, in fact, if they get so far and they're being pulled and prodded and possibly pushed and hurt into a situation, their brain, just like our brain, will release hormones or chemicals into their body, adrenaline into their body, which actually downgrades the meat. And so the scientists have figured this out. And so what do they do? They make the slaughterhouse the most comfortable place on earth. It's it's nice. It's comfortable. It's easy. They don't push the cows. They don't startle them. They don't surprise them. They just allow them to walk very nicely and calmly where they want them to go. And they kind of, they kind of ease them and they feed them along the way. Everything's comfortable. Everything's good. There's no surprises. And they even, to get them in the right position, 
they put this, they put them in on like a little conveyor ramp, which they like because they're like, hmm, I don't have to walk. I'm going places, but I don't have to walk. And they're on this conveyor ramp, and they're like, yeah, this is this is nice. For the first time, I don't have to walk where I'm going. They're putting me on a conveyor ramp. This is really nice. I'm resting. I'm good. And then they put them through something called the squeezer, right? And it doesn't not as bad as you think. The squeezer is something it, it puts them into this little tight little this little tight little thing he's he's getting scared by the slaughterhouse story so um yeah i know it's scary um so they put them through the squeezer which makes them feel like their mother is rubbing up against them when they were a calf so it actually soothes them and it gets them in perfect position and <laughs> surgical strike right through the head they didn't even know it head off Boom, done. No hormones released, no adrenaline, no nothing. Dead. Most of us think that temptation and sin is like predator and prey. We think that, that Satan is out to get us, and we're gonna, we're gonna, he's just going to pounce onto us. Nope. It's more like rancher and livestock. We are being cultivated. Satan is not stupid. In fact, the Bible says that he's very crafty. He knows, gentlemen, he knows that the good-looking woman down the block, he knows that if, if she just showed up one day in a bikini and knocked on your door and said, hey, you want to have an affair? Satan knows it's probably not going to work. Like, you're probably going to be like, whoa, 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 chill out there, chica. Leave me alone, right? Take, take that somewhere else, Right? But he knows that if she flirts with you for several months and bolsters your ego, you might take a step towards her. Ladies, the handsome guy in your office that you really kind of like, he knows that he's not just going to walk up to you and ask you out because you'd kind of buck at that. You'd be a little bit surprised by that, and that's not really how you work. But he knows that you might be tempted to take your wedding ring off when you get to work. And that maybe one day that guy will get the courage to maybe talk to you. It's the slow things. He knows that when you held your newborn baby after, it was, after he or she was born, he knows you're not going to look at that child and say, you know what, I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to ignore you. And probably one day I'm just going to abandon you. That's never going to happen. But he does know that those phone calls when you're supposed to be home with your kids. He does know that when you're invited to go out and you're supposed to be with your kids and be with your family and their buddy calls you up and says, hey, let's go golfing for the next few hours. He knows that. He's not stupid. He's cultivating you. He's not predator and prey. He is rancher and, sh- and you are the livestock. Temptation happens very slowly. And it's a very slow fade. It's the last one, number three. Number three. Temptation exposes a false savior. In verse six, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some, some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve give in to temptation. They believe at that moment that they were better than God. They believed that they knew what was best for them. 
They believed that they could be outside of God's commandments and be better off than inside of God's commandments. They believed that they, not him, was their best savior. That they can handle it on their own. And these are the things that they say. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. No one can tell me how to run my life. You don't own me. And I will shake my fist at the sky and tell you so. And you can't take from me what is rightfully mine. I am my own savior. I will deal with me at the end. I know what is best for me. And we, we put ourselves up as our own savior. And it is a temptation to be a false savior. See, Adam and Eve... They dealt with the consequences of their sin. God, in his grace, and I'll explain that next week, in his grace kicks them out of the garden. Later to, be, later to die. Fast forward the tape a little bit. You have great guys in the Bible like Noah. Noah, the big ark builder, right? Is obedient to God. God chooses him and his family because of their obedience. He spends most of his life building a giant boat so that, so that his family and he can be saved and then they become the chief source for humanity. They get off of the boat, he's tempted with wine and becomes drunk and lays naked in his family. His story of Noah ends with him laying naked and shameful in a tent. You have Abraham, the father of Israel, right? This great guy who's supposed to be loving towards God, who God chooses him to be the one that he's going to be the father of his nations. Wants to save his own skin and pimps out his own wife. That's what happens to Abraham. You have Jacob. Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? He comes along. Tries to get his brother to sell his birthright. And from from then on, he was called the liar. You have Moses, the great Moses, leads his people out of Israel. Is the great rescuer. He's leading them through the desert so that they can go into the promised land. And at the very end, he believes that the power of God is in a stick. And so he bangs it across the rocks and he believes the power of God was him and the stick. And because of that and because of that sin, he doesn't enter the promised land and he dies in the desert. You have King David. The greatest king that Israel had ever known. Right? He battled everyone. He he probably, he, he was the king over the greatest nation that has ever been in the entire universe. Ever. And he is tempted by the exposing of a woman on a roof. And he becomes an adulterer and a murderer. And later, at the end of his life, the Bible records simply that David died cold and alone in his bed. And his descendants didn't do much better. They eventually broke up his kingdom, taken over by several pagan nations, and there was no shalom. They tried to fix things, and they couldn't fix things. They tried to fix a broken world with everything, but they couldn't fix it. It was sin after sin after sin. And every time they were tempted, they sinned. And it just seemed like a never-ending pattern of temptation, sin, temptation, sin, temptation, sin, until a man named Jesus with a Galilean accent shows up. Temptation, no sin. Temptation, 
no sin. Temptation, no sin. And he lives his entire life absolutely perfect. He never sins. He was tempted with everything that we, cost, we possibly could be tempted by. He's tempted with food. He's tempted with power. He's tempted with money, materials, sex, worry, anxiety, pride. Everything that we could possibly be tempted with, he was tempted with. Yet he never gave in to that temptation. And he was perfect and sinless. And just like Adam, at the very end of his life, just like Adam, you have Jesus standing in a garden, just like Adam, standing in a garden, and he is looking at what? A tree. It's a tree in his future in the shape of a cross. And he is struggling in the garden. Because everything about that tree is pain. Everything that he walked through in his life that said, stay away from this. Everything about that tree was sinful. People were put to death on that. Everything that was about that tree was lawlessness. Criminals were put on that. Everything that was put on that tree was absolutely cursed. And he, in his entire life, had spent dealing with those temptations and saying, no, I am not going to sin like that. There is no way that you're going to put me on that cross. And he begs God, please allow me to avoid that tree. And God says, no, you're going to embrace the tree. Because your forefather, Adam, he embraced the tree and it caused him to sin causing great pain for all of society, for all of our culture. And so Jesus embraces the sin. He embraces the death. He embraces everything that is evil about that tree. And he stands in a garden, tempted to avoid the tree. He doesn't want to do it. It's like, I just want to be out of this. And blood is flowing from his veins, sweating uh, drops of blood all over the place and Satan comes in and whispers in his ear you don't have to do it there's another way you don't everything that goes on that tree is cursed you'll be cursed they don't love you they don't like you even they hate you why would you die for them you've done nothing wrong why would you die for them now they hate you And Jesus, as it records in Genesis 3, verse 15, Jesus sees the snake and stomps on his head and heads straight for the tree, embraces it, embraces the sin, takes every bit of sin and death onto himself, hangs on the tree and crushes it and crushes the tree. And where his, where his forefather Adam stood weak and, and cowardly before the tree and allowed his wife to step up in front of him and be tempted in sin, Jesus steps up, dies on the cross for his bride in her place and takes and crushes the tree. And we are now in a place where we can battle 
the same temptation. And because he died for us, we share in the same victory. We share in the crushing of the cross. Because Jesus rose from the dead three days later, crushing sin, temptation, death, lies, and evil. We share in that. And he becomes the true savior. And we get a window, a picture of what that is. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. And so how do we deal with this temptation? Here's a couple of things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. How do we overcome temptation? You remember temptation exposes what God opposes. And so how do we deal with temptation? Number one, we trust God. We trust God. We trust our creator. The, the biggest thing that happened when, when Eve was questioned about her identity and questioned about her future is she didn't trust the God who made her. We just need to learn how to trust God. How do we do that? Number two, we hear his word. We hear his voice. And you might say, how do I do that? God has given to us the scriptures, which are his word, his voice. And our church, we want you, we want you to get into the scripture. We want you to get into a huddle, which means there's two or three people gathered once a week to just devour some scripture. Talk about it. How is it going to apply with your life? We have out in the connection table journals and how you can, and it'll show you how to study the Bible for all of its worth. We want you to know the word so that you can be equipped to deal with temptation. And you might look at me and you might say, Charlie, I am way past what you're talking about. I, are, I know that I'm messed up. I know this whole idea of sin, that's me. I know that I'm sinful. I get that. And I'm struggling through that sin. And I really am struggling with the fact that I, I believe that God is good, but I believe that I'm so bad that God could never save me. And God has run away from me. He's so scared of me and my sin. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. I want to share with you what we're going to read through next week, which is going to be super fun. In verse eight, just listen to this. In verse eight, it might be up on the screen. So this is after Adam and Eve have sinned after they have run away from God. As soon as they realize that they have sinned, they cover themselves and they go and hide like an enemy. And God does this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Here's what happens after man sins. You would think that because man sinned against God, that God would run away from man. That God would want nothing to do with him at all. But as soon as man sins, as soon as man transgresses against God, as soon as man becomes an enemy of God, God walks towards the man. And God becomes a missionary. He's not afraid of your sin. He conquered it. He's not afraid of you. He wants to love you. And no matter how much sin that you have in your life, no matter how many times that you've messed up, God is running towards you. He's not running away from you. And so I want to offer that to you. If you've never come to a place in your life where you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you have a relationship with God, I want you to have that relationship. I want you to know that God loves you so much that he came after you even in your sin. Even while you're messed up, that God wants to love you, holds you, and gives you everything a good father gives. And yes, we're going to deal with temptation, and we're going to, we're going to battle against it. But we know that we do it knowing that we will be conquerors over it. And so if you want to talk about that, I want to talk about it with you. Come and grab me.
I'll probably stand out in the back of the room. You want to talk about anything, I'd love to chat with you about a relationship with God. I want to pray with you if you have anything to pray with. And we're going to sing just one more song. We're going to get out of here. But I'm just glad that Jesus Christ has given his life and beaten and crushed the tree so that we might have life. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We're thankful that you stood in that garden that one day. Thankful that you um, crushed the head of the serpent. And even though it bruised your heel, it broke your body, the blood flowed from your veins, I'm glad that you did not give in to the temptation to avoid the cross. For that reason, we worship this morning. We're glad that you were with us. And so God, as we just sing about our freedom through you, I pray, God, that if there is one in this room that needs to be set free today, that you would convict them with your spirit, allow them to move and take action. Know that grace flows over them. Father, I pray that you give them the courage to speak with someone. Father, we love you and we glorify you because what you have done. In your name we pray, amen.